Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're back with Dr. Melanie Weiss. In an earlier podcast, Dr. Weiss talked about her addiction to painkillers and what that cost her. And now we'll talk about how she has come back from those dark days to rebuild her practice, reestablish herself in, in the community. Welcome, Dr. Weiss. Thank you for having me again. Your practice kept running or did it get shut down? What what actually happened yeah, with that? Yeah, so when my arrest hit the television, I had some other doctors that lived a couple hours away that had seen it on TV and reached out to my staff and said, you know, we don't know what's going on, but if there's anything that we can do, we are here to help. And so I actually had some doctors that drove um, about two and a half hours from their practice a couple times a week to my practice to be able to see my patients and keep to keep my doors open so that my staff would still be able to have a job, my patients would still be able to be seen. Uh, I just I was blessed. If there's <clears throat> if there's something that gets me pretty emotional, that's it. Is to have have colleagues. Um, there was one one person I didn't even know him. I had never even met him as an optometrist that took his personal time away from his family and his wife to be able to help me. You know, and I so wish I have the opportunity to be able to do that to somebody else someday. Which is part of why you are working again, but you've you've also committed to spending time uh, talking to people about your experience. Correct. And, and that's um, locally and to professional organizations. Uh, yeah. Is that correct? Uh, you know, it kind of started, I, I never planned to do this, um, but uh, <laughs> actually the day I got out of jail, I had a local radio station ask me, you know, can we do an interview on you? And at first I said, um, absolutely not. (laughs) I've been in the media enough. Mm -hmm. I'm sick of people saying my name and saying all the bad things I've done. No. And she said, well, you just think about it. And I said, fine, I'll think about it. And so I did, I thought about it. And I kind of at that time thought, you know, I don't really have anything to lose at this point. And so I called her back up and I said, you know what, I'll do the interview. And so the next day I was in their studio doing an interview and they asked a lot of tough questions. And when I got done with that interview, it was one of the most healing things I had done to spill my guts to, you know, 35,000 listeners of all of the bad things that I had done. And then to get the response back that I got from people, I had people um, texting me and messaging me saying, you know, thank you for being a voice. Thank you for telling us what it's like. I now understand, you know, why my son did what he did or, or why my sister did what she did. Um, you know, thank you for giving other people hope because there's a lot of people that feel like they've done something so irreversible that they can't come back from that. And so I had 
people hear that radio interview and then called me up and said, hey, could you come and speak to our students at our high school? Or could you come and speak to our organization? We're having a you know, an annual conference. And it so it just kind of blossomed from that. And I thought, you know, I really feel called to do this. And so in the time that I wasn't able to practice that two and a half years, I decided to create, it's called Vision of Hope. And it's just basically my platform to be able to get out there and spread this message um, of addiction and also of recovery. And that's on the web at myvisionmyhope.com. You know, at first it was just to, um, you know, basically educate people on the fact that one, addiction is a disease uh, and two, just to give people hope. And, you know, it doesn't have to be just hope in addiction. Um, but I've found that so many people have resonated with my story, you know, whether or not, whether they're going through a divorce or bankruptcy um, or a death in the family where they feel like something has happened in their life and their life's never going to be the same and they're never going to have a successful life again. Um, to, you know, let people know that, you know, my world came crumbling down and I, I could have lost everything, but I didn't give up. I knew what my dream was. You know, I always wanted to be an eye doctor. I always wanted to have my own business and I was not going to give up that fight. I was going to do absolutely everything I could do in my power to keep my practice and to keep my family together and just not giving up. It's, it's hard work, but it's so worth it in the end. Uh, and so I had in the time that I was not seeing patients, I had a total of six different doctors that kind of came and went. And, you know, I didn't have coverage every day. Uh, mm-hmm. Some weeks I only had, you know, coverage one day a week. Some weeks I had a doctor here two or three days, but I never had a week where I had a doctor here more than three days out of the week. And so um, the other thing was, is that I had one smart thing I did when I was fresh out of college is I had gotten a couple different disability policies. And that's the one thing that helped keep my practice up and going as well is the fact that those policies I didn't actually know it at the time, but those policies actually covered addiction. And so I had an overhead disability policy. And then I also had a couple personal disability policies that helped me um, kind of bridge the gap financially Mm -hmm. to keep the business up and going. And you probably never even looked at that particular clause when you when you were selecting those policies. You know, I didn't. I just knew it was important for me to have a disability policy so that if something were to happen, mm-hmm. um, me at the time, out of school, I was the primary breadwinner in our household. And I knew that if something happened, you know, my husband wouldn't be able to to pay all the bills on, on his wage. And so... It was just something that I had put in place, and I am so thankful for it because I 100% know that I would have had to declare bankruptcy if I would have not had those policies in place. Wow. Right. And that would have just made the recovery 
longer and and potentially more shameful you know in in a way when you're when you're dealing with that emotion uh, layered on top yeah absolutely and i feel too that you know it it may have been something where i may have felt like okay now what you know now what do i have to stay clean and sober for because i just lost everything um but it's I, I encourage anybody out there that's listening, if you do not have a disability policy, you need to, uh, is there's so many freak things that can happen. And that can be the one thing that can be your, your saving grace to, to get you through those times. Has it made you a different doctor? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> a way, way better doctor. Um, I have so much more um, empathy and heart for people that are going through struggles in life, you know, and until my addiction, my life was kind of a breeze. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so I didn't have anything bad that happened in my life. I didn't have any struggles that I really had to struggle through. And now to be able to have some of that empathy with Mm -hmm. some of my other patients, um, there's so many things that have happened that are good that has come from my addiction. I mean, I would not wish addiction on anybody, but for what I've gone through and the recovery that I've gone through, I am so much a better person. I'm a better mom. I'm a better um, wife. I'm a better eye doctor for going through all of this. Right. When you were able to come back to your practice and started rebuilding it and and uh, you know growing it again, because you had a, a quite a booming practice, is is my understanding. Yes. Did you take precautions against uh, whatever kinds of stresses um, were were part of what? might have contributed to this? I mean, I, I realize obviously it's, it's, it's a physical addiction. Um, but, but are there sort of mental health guardrails that you put in place? Yeah. So when I was able to finally get back into practice, my state board, the first month, uh, would only allow me to work 20 hours a week. Uh, and then after that, they kind of reassess things. And by the second month, they said I could, you know, go back to practice full time, but I chose not to go back to practice full time. I chose to go back four days a week instead of five. One, I didn't want to get burnt out, but two, I was also doing a fair amount of speaking at schools. And so I wanted to reserve one day a week to be able to go and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I still uh, do counseling. Uh, I'm very open with my husband now, whereas before I I hid all of my feelings and all of my anxieties from him because I thought I had to be super mom and super wife. And so now anytime I have a day where I I feel a lot of anxiety, I'm very straightforward with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said, I have a sponsor that I can talk to if I feel like things are getting overwhelmed. And probably one of the biggest things is... Before my arrest, I was a 100% control freak (laughs) when it came to my practice. And I micromanaged every single employee. 
And I had to give that up when I was in treatment because I wasn't there to manage my practice. And I had to give that trust to my staff and trust that they were going to take care of things. And that was a blessing because I now do not micromanage. I give my staff things that they need to do and I, I know that they're going to do it. And if they do something wrong, that's how we all learn. And I couldn't see that before. And so that's been a huge thing for me not to be, you know, this overbearing boss and to be able to just to come into work and see my patients and enjoy what I'm doing and let my staff do what they're best at. Is is your staff, um, is there overlap between your staff now and the staff then? Yes, I still have some of my staff that have been with me for over 15 years. Uh, and they have been just an amazing support system for me. Right. Uh, they can sense when maybe I'm feeling a little stressed and, and they'll come up to me and say, you know, are you doing okay? You look a little stressed. Uh, you know, and they're concerned about me as well. And um, and then I do, I did have some staff that left, which I completely understand that. But yeah, I, I have a couple that have been my rocks. Mm-hmm. Do you feel fragile? I don't right now, not at all. I would say probably, you know, again, those first two years of being clean and sober, I felt um, really pretty fragile. Uh, now I feel stronger than I ever have. That's great. What might you have done differently or or sooner that might have helped you avoid the the darkest days? Yeah, I would say a couple things. Um, first, um, you know, what kind of got me into this predicament is it started out so innocently, you know, instead of me taking one to two Vicodin or Percocet every four to six hours, I started to take two and a half and then three and then three and a half and four. And I, I kept just building that up and adding a little bit more. And I always thought in my mind, you know, I'll know when I've taken too much. Like I know my body really, really well. I'll know. Mm. And when I was going into people's homes, my mind never once said, okay, Melanie, this has gone too far. And so one would be, don't think that you are going to be able to know if you're taking too much. If you're taking more than prescribed, you're taking too much. Uh, And two, if you do find that you're in that situation, it is okay to ask for help. Uh, I so wish I would have done that. You know, I looked at that as a sign of weakness. You know, I can do this. I can get off these pills. I'm strong. And so I thought if I, if I ever ask for help, that means I'm weak. And it's really the people that ask for help that are the strong ones. And it's okay. I always tell people it's okay to not be okay. There's people out there that can help you through that. You know, when I was when I was early out of treatment and I was going to counseling probably three times a week because I just didn't know what to do with myself, you know, my counselor told me, 
Melanie, everybody loves the story of the comeback kid. (laughs) And I remember telling him, yeah, but you don't know what I did. Like, look at all the stuff that I did. And he said, I know, but everybody loves that story. And that's what we all want for everybody. If you fall down, we only want to see people get back up and be successful and have an amazing life again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do, do you feel like you have made amends with, with the people who were most affected by you? So I have been able to, so how I was arrested is that um, a couple of the moms of my daughter's friends thought that my behavior was a little odd. And because I was going into their homes when their my kids were at their house and asking always to use the bathroom, and then I would go through their cabinets and look for pills. And so those mothers thought that something was a little off and turned me over to the police department. And I have been able to thank those individuals personally for basically saving my life. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of other people that I've, you know, taken from them, um, whether it be taking their pills or, you know, taking from them emotionally, uh, you know, the things that I put my own staff through, the things I put my kids through, my husband, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, unfortunately, are some people that I have not been able to make amends to because they don't, um, you know, they're still upset with me. Right. And I have to know that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, you know, forgives and heals at different rates. And I, I hope at some point in time I I can make amends to those individuals, but I just know that I have to continue to live my life the best way I can. And I think at some point I'll be able to, to be able to talk to them and hopefully they'll forgive me. All right. And it sounds like your, my vision, my hope uh, initiative is, is obviously a part of that. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible story to, to share, you know, I'm so sorry that you went through it. Um, uh, I, I can't imagine how brutal it must have been even living, living through it. Like you said, hating your life. That's, that's, uh, that's tough. It, it is. And, you know, I, I have a lot of people that asked me about um, suicide, which is always a hard thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never physically planned out a suicide, mm-hmm. but I also did not want to live. Mm-hmm. I always hoped that I would get in a car accident or I would, you know, have a cardiac arrest or something were to happen to me so that I didn't have to live in that misery anymore. And, you know, that breaks my heart for yeah. people that are going through that same thing right now, because it just robs you of yourself. Exactly. Do, do you think that you would be able to recognize this in someone else? 
I have been able to, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> now that I've been there, uh, I I can see it so clearly in people. I have some um, amazing counselors that I've worked with in the past that, you know, I give my patients their business card um, or write down their phone number and their name and just encourage them to reach out. And the best thing that they can do is to talk about it and not to keep it inside and then I kind of reference my story a little bit, which most of them know it, <laughs> and um, just tell them, you know, how healing it was for me to be able to talk about it. And if they can at least get that out and not keep it in, that's part of the healing process right there. Yeah. And if you are one of those individuals that are out there struggling with addiction, please, please reach out and ask for help. Uh being clean and sober is an absolutely amazing feeling. You're loving life? I am. Yes, I am. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear it. And thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.